good morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at the, uh, the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary. That is a familiar story about Christmas. Uh, many of us are fully aware of that story. We've heard it many times. You know, there are many things that are familiar about Christmas. Uh, you know, it's the same date every year, always December 25th. We know this. Christmas Eve is always, well, the 24th, the eve of Christmas. It's always the same. We, we have Christmas Eve services here at Central, and, and this year, I don't know if this has crossed your radar yet. Some of you are just trying to make it to, to Christmas break with your kids, uh, but, but December 25th is a Sunday morning this year, and yes, we are having church. Uh, we'll, we'll have a 10 o'clock service, and uh, you know, we've been saying around the office, let's tell people to come in their PJs. I feel like that's a dangerous thing to tell you people. Uh, come as you are. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, we're, we'll have kind of a condensed service a little bit. It'll be a great time. It's a unique opportunity to celebrate uh, Christmas uh, on a Sunday morning. We don't get that very often. And so uh, do come to that. But, but it's the same date, 25th. It's, it's the same weather every year. Uh, you guys come in your shorts and t-shirt to Christmas Eve service. We have to have uh, fake snow out there. Uh, may, maybe I just jinxed it. Maybe we'll get some snow this year. not going to. Uh, it's the same weather every year. We decorate our house the same way. Our family, the inside, basically is the same every year. The outside's basically the same. We've got some lights where the, you know, we went ahead went and bought the, uh, you know, 200 strand of lights and now the ones in the middle are out so now what do you do uh, so we you know those are still out and we're going to go to the store and get some new ones but we're like halfway through December now uh, we decorate our houses the same way we have the same traditions we see the same people we go to the same places we do the same things we sing the same songs we have Christmas songs Christmas carols and we sing these songs that's one of the challenges of, of really singing a whole lot of Christmas carols uh, here together at church is that those songs become so familiar that our eyes glaze over and we get really nostalgic, which is fine, uh, but, but we don't really engage our minds with what we're singing. And it's because those songs are, can be so familiar. And I think in many ways we let Christmas become routine and familiar and that causes us to lose the wonder uh, of Christmas. So every single year here at church, we, we've, we've got to emphasize the uniqueness of what took place at, at Christmas. And that's what we're going to do here in, in Luke chapter 1, the story that we're going to look at. It's a familiar story. The angel appears to Mary and tells Mary, uh, you're going to have a baby, don't be afraid. Well, well, that's familiar to us, but what I'd like to do is I'd, look to look, I'd like to look at Mary's encounter with Gabriel with fresh eyes and observe how unusual this story really is. We're going to pick up in verse 26 together. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse, and we'll kind of comment along the way. So beginning in verse 26, what we're going to find is an, an unusual visitor to an unusual location. So verse 26, God's word says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So the story begins really with this announcement of time. It says in the sixth month. And what's taking place here is, is Luke is placing two birth announcements side by side. 
The sixth month is a reference to uh, Mary's relative Elizabeth's pregnancy. What has taken place just before what we're about to read is the angel Gabriel, the same angel, has appeared to Zechariah, a, a priest, and has told him, uh, your wife is going to have a child. He's, he's going to play the role of, of Elijah. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Um, and, and we get this interaction that, that takes place there. What Luke has done is he's placed Luke, uh, this announcement about John the Baptist, that's who it's going to be, and Jesus, and placed them side by side so we can compare, we can contrast, and what we'll find out is the uniqueness of Jesus. That's what's being highlighted here. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it says the angel Gabriel. This, this angel is a unique visitor, the angel Gabriel. Gabriel shows up three times in the scriptures, two times here in Luke chapter 1. The other time he shows up is in the book of, of Daniel. Gabriel, every time he appears, he has an important announcement about, about what God is going to do to reconcile his people. Uh, to, so, so he has this important announcement for the people of God. Gabriel is also an important figure. We find out in Luke chapter 1, he says in verse 19, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I was sent with this message, this good news. Uh, so Gabriel is, is an angel who stands in the presence of God. He is an important figure with an important message. He is an unusual visitor. Angels just don't show up all the time. When they do, they make it in the Bible. Right. So this unusual visitor shows up to an unusual location. It says, uh, to Nazareth in Galilee, which is a region in Israel, like we would say, Round Rock, Texas, USA. That's kind of how that works. Nazareth is a small town, maybe a small village, in a region called Galilee. Luke probably includes that, that Galilee reference because Nazareth is such a small town that people probably, most people, didn't know where it was. So Nazareth is a, in the middle of nowhere. It's a, a nowhere town. It's like a hick town out in the woods somewhere. Uh, that, that's, that's Nazareth, and we've got to identify it by Galilee. You, you'll remember in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, uh, Philip wants Nathanael to come see Jesus, and, and he says he's from Nazareth. And Nathanael says, does anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's, that's not a question because maybe Nazareth is a bad place. It's a question of that's the middle of nowhere. Who, who even lives there? I don't even know who who lives there. Nazareth is the middle of nowhere. This is an unusual location when you compare it to the location of the birth announcement of, uh, to Zechariah. The angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah just previous to this. Zechariah is a priest and he has been chosen to go into the temple in Jerusalem to offer incense before the Lord. And that's where his announcement comes. And you compare Jerusalem to Nazareth and there is no comparison. Well, in verse 27, what we have is an unusual protagonist. Read with me. Gabriel went to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So we get uh, some information about this person, Mary, 
uh, we find out that she is a virgin. This is an emphasis of the text. In verse 27, it says it twice, and in verse 34, it, it says it again in a different way. Uh, th- this is an emphasis of the text. This is an important piece of the text that she's a virgin. And it also says that she's betrothed. She's betrothed to a, a man. Uh, so a, a betrothal is kind of like our engagement, but it's, it's more formal. So for a betrothal, it was much more like a marriage ceremony. There's an actual ceremony. It's formal. A, a bridal price is paid. Money exchanges hands for all intents and purposes for uh, legally um, at, at a betrothal, the man and the woman are married. They just haven't consummated the marriage yet. There's, there's a time period, maybe a year, and after that year, there's another marriage ceremony, and the man and the woman can consummate the marriage. The man takes his wife to his house at that point. So to say that she was betrothed for our purposes would mean she's legally married. Now, that gives us some, some potential information there about who this Mary was. Luke does not give us Mary's age, but we can look into historical record and we can find out that, that women in the first century in the ancient Near East could, be, could become betrothed as early as age 12. And so what that shows us here is that it is highly likely, highly possible that Mary is a teenager at this point. Maybe a young teenager. And I don't know if that blows up in your mind. Uh, when we think of Mary and Joseph, we think of, uh, of a woman in her young 20s because in our culture, of course, you're going to have your first baby. You're probably in your young 20s. That's probably who that is. But, but in that culture, it was different. And she was a young teenager. And if she were a member of our church, she would have been like a girl in the youth group with braces. That's, that's who this potentially would have been. See, our protagonist here, the main character of the story, is not the typical hero of the biblical story. If I were to ask you, who are the biblical heroes? Who are the heroes of the Bible? You would say, well, Abraham. And then, and then there's Joseph, and, and uh, there's Moses, and, and there's, there's like Samson, and there's, there's these guys, and, and we, New Testament, Peter, James, John, Jesus. That's a hero of the Bible. We have all these heroes, and guess what? Those are all men. But here, we, we don't have a man that's a hero of the story. That's not who we have. We, ha- we have a woman. We have a young lady. A young lady who is the hero of the story. That is, that is an unusual protagonist in the story of the Bible. We, we can contrast this with, with the main character uh, in the story just previous. It's Zechariah. He's the one receiving the message, and he's important. He is a priest. He has been chosen to go into the temple to offer incense before the Lord. He's an important man. But here in this story, the protagonist is different. What an unusual circumstance that the angel of the Lord would appear to someone like Mary. He gives her an unusual greeting in verse 28. Look with me. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This is an unusual greeting. Greetings, hello, is what that means. Oh, favored one. 
The language here, it it simply means that Mary is one who has received God's grace. It's not that Mary bestows it. She is the object of God's grace, God's favor. It's not that she's full of grace. It's not that she dispenses grace. It's that God has given grace to her. Well, in what way is Mary the favored one? In what way is she favored? Because what we're about to be, well, find out that what is going to be announced to her. But to assure her, Gabriel tells Mary, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. We know from verse 19 that Gabriel is the one who stands in the presence of God. He stands in the throne room He sees God's face. He gets to bring a message from the throne. And what is that message? This is what God himself tells Mary. I'm with you. I'm with you. You are not alone. There is nothing that I'm about to tell you, nothing that's about to happen that is contrary to my plan for you. There's nothing that you're about to walk through that you're going to walk through alone. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And after this unusual greeting, Gabriel gives an unusual command considering the circumstances. Look in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So, of course, Mary is perplexed. The text says that she was greatly troubled. This is different from Zechariah's reaction, just a little bit, uh, because his reaction to Gabriel appearing to him, his reaction, it says that he was troubled. Mary is greatly troubled. She is more perplexed. And we don't have to guess at what she was afraid of. Like, oh, of course she's afraid of this angel appearing out of nowhere. That's, that's not normal. But it tells us in the text what she's troubled at. It says in verse 29 that she's troubled at the saying. At the words that Gabriel just spoke. She's troubled by that. She's perplexed. And it says that she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She, she was mulling it over in her mind. I don't understand why I'm being greeted by an angel, why he's telling me I'm favored, and why he's telling me that the Lord is with me. I don't understand. And so the angel in verse 30 gives an unusual command for her completely normal reaction. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid. Literally, stop fearing Mary, stop fearing. That that command, do not fear, tells us that Mary was indeed afraid. She wasn't just confused, she was afraid. And and that's the completely normal reaction. Do not fear, is the command. That, That can ring hollow, can't it? Do not fear. You know, my kids, they don't do it so much anymore, but but maybe you remember your kids waking up in the middle of the night and they come wake you up, scare the life out of you. They say, they say, Dad, I'm afraid, I'm scared. 
And what do you tell them as a parent? You say, well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Go back to bed. There's nothing to be afraid of. And sometimes what I'll tell them, this, this house is the safest place you can be. There, there is nothing for you to be afraid of. And that's easy for me to say as the dad, but that fear is, is real in them. As adults, we face things that we're afraid of, and, and maybe reality we shouldn't be. But we, we are afraid. We, we face things that the appropriate response is probably fear. We, we face enemies that are too big for us. And it, it feels kind of hollow when somebody's like, hey, don't be afraid. You, you, don't need, you don't need to be afraid of that. Stop being afraid. Like when you get that diagnosis, well, you don't need to be afraid. God's got it. Or when your kid is in trouble or when your kid is sick or when your kid is hurting and there's nothing you can do about it and, and, and the response from someone else is, well, don't be anxious. God's got it under control. When you're in danger of losing your job or, or, or some other thing in your life that feels like an enemy that's too big and somebody says, do, do not fear. It's true, but it feels hollow. It's one of those things. It's easy to say, hard to do. Stop, stop being afraid. Well, Gabriel knows this. And he reminds Mary one more time. He says, you have found favor with God. What does it mean to find favor with God? I, I, I see a couple of things as I look at this. The first thing I see here is that the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You see, the angel knows her name. Why does the angel know her name? Because God knows her name. He stands in the presence of God. He's not bringing his own message. He's coming from the throne room. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary. He knows her name. That means that, God, that she is important to God. That she matters to God. That she is seen by God. It's not just because God knows all things is why he knows her name. It's because he cares about her. He delights in Mary. He has chosen Mary. That Mary is one of God's favorites. Not because Mary's so awesome. She's like a teenage girl in the middle of nowhere. But rather, God has chosen to delight in her and to, and to allow her to be a part of his cosmic plan to save the whole world. Did you know that God knows your name? Did you know that God knows what concerns you? He knows what makes you anxious. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what you need. God delights in you. He knows your name. Well, what does it mean to have favor with God? It means that he knows your name. But as we look at the Old Testament, what, what we can see is this pattern of God, God favoring people all throughout the Bible. And when we look at the Old Testament, when somebody is favored by God, it means that he delights in them and he gives them a special purpose. For example... The scripture says that Noah found favor with God. And then what happened? God gave him a special purpose. Build the ark and save humanity. Or, or think about Gideon. Gideon found favor with God. And he was, cho he was chosen to judge Israel to deliver them from the Midianites in the book of Judges. Or I think about Hannah. 
She was barren. She poured her heart out before the Lord. And the Lord gave her a son. She found favor with God. But we get to Luke chapter 1 and we see that Mary has found favor with God. He delights in her. He knows her name. But what is Mary's special purpose? Well, we get that purpose in an unusual announcement beginning in verse 31. Look with me at the text. Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel tells Mary what's about to happen. Uh, it's, it's kind of a two-part announcement with a question of Mary in the middle. The first part of the announcement in verses 31 through 33, Gabriel tells Mary seven things. You'll have a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Seven things. Can you imagine being told this? The uniqueness of this announcement that you're, you're going to have a son. Mary is a virgin. And her assumption is that that's coming uh, now and not, not later. After I've already married Joseph. It's, that's coming now. So that, that's an amazing thing. But this son that's going to be born, he's going to sit on the throne of your father David. That, that he is going to, he's going to be the son of God. And that he's going to rule and reign over Israel. And, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What an amazing thing to be told. And Mary asks this follow-up question. She says, how can these things be? And the angel answers her question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That simply means that God's creative power is going to overwhelm her. That his divine presence is going to be near and he's going to do an amazing work. That's the announcement that is made. How would you respond to this kind of unusual announcement? How would you respond? How did Zechariah respond when he received a, a similar announcement just previous to this? What was his response? He says in verse 18, Zechariah says, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? See, he, he, he's still doubting. That, that, is, that is an inappropriate response from somebody who hears the word of the Lord. How, how can I know that this is true? He asked for a sign. And in verse 20, the angel makes it clear that was an inappropriate response from Zechariah. That's how Zechariah responded. How did Mary respond? We're going to see it in the text. She responds with an unusual faith. An unusual faith. In verse 34, notice her question isn't, how can I know this? Her question is, how can this be? She's taking God at his word. Okay, this is going to happen. I don't understand how, though. Can you explain that to me? She responds with this kind of faith and the angel says it's by God's creative power but then the angel does give her a, a couple of helps here oh 
The first thing he does is, is give her a sign. Look, look in verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So the angel does give Mary a sign. Go check on your relative Elizabeth. And if she's six months pregnant, then you'll know that I'm telling the truth. And then he gives Mary a biblical promise. He says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Now that statement, nothing will be impossible with God, that statement is one that's found all over the Bible. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. I, th I think of the book uh, of Genesis and we, we've got a guy named Abraham. He's got a, a wife named Sarah. She's barren. And God says, Abraham, one of your descendants is going to save the whole world. Abraham's got no son, but he, he believes God. And he says, it's going to be through your wife, Sarah, even though she's barren. And, and Sarah, what is her response? Sarah laughs. She laughs at God. Pro tip, don't ever laugh at God. And God says to her, why did you laugh? Sarah says, I didn't laugh. Pro tip, don't lie to God. <laughs> He's got good ears. But that's where that statement comes in. The Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? This rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This, that, that scene gets plugged in right here. And sure, it's in Mary's mind. Sure. Remember when I told Abraham and Sarah nothing is, too, is impossible? Nothing is too difficult? That same principle is true here. Nothing will be impossible with God. Well, what is Mary's response to all of this? Look in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What is Mary's response to this? Her response is faith. Faith revealed by costly obedience costly obedience this was going to cost mary potentially potentially it was going to cost her imagine the conversation with joseph her husband imagine the conversation with her parents imagine the conversation with the rest of her family imagine the talk of the town this could cost her her reputation this could cost her her husband this could cost her her family and really, this could cost her, her her life. Because from the outside looking in, it looks like she's committed adultery. And the Torah says, if you commit adultery, you should be killed. This could cost her life. But what is the response of Mary? Let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary entrusted herself to a faithful creator. She believed God's words. She submitted herself to God's plan for her. It probably wasn't her plan. But she submitted herself to his, no matter the cost. What an unusual faith from an unusual protagonist. I think you would agree this is an unusual story that we have in Luke chapter 1. But what I want to do is I want to point out to you a few things that are actually quite familiar. The first thing is this, 
a familiar God. When I look at this story, I see a familiar God. It's, it's not all that unusual to see God do amazing things. He has done this kind of thing before. He, he's always bringing about his promises through what look like to us impossible circumstances. He always does that. In fact, the, the theme of barrenness goes all throughout the Bible. We've already talked about Abraham and Sarah. Well, Sarah has a son. They name him Isaac. He laughs. Isaac has a wife. Her name is Rebecca, and she is barren. And God opens her womb and gives her a son. We, we've, got to, we've got to have this descendant. We've got to have this descendant that's going to save the world. Well, Rebecca's womb is opened by the Lord, and she has a son. She names him Jacob. And, and Jacob gets his name changed to Israel, and his sons are the, are the, the figureheads, the, the fathers of the tribes of Israel. Or I think about Hannah, who we spoke of earlier. She poured her heart out to the Lord, and the Lord opens her womb. She has a son. It's, it's the mighty prophet Samuel. He's the one who anoints David to be king over Israel. This theme of, of barrenness, we see it with Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. The Lord tells her husband, you're going to have a son, and he's going to fulfill the role of Elijah. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. This theme of barrenness, it's all throughout the scripture. But listen, what we're looking at here is not barrenness. Mary's not barren. She's a virgin. This, this escalates the whole thing. This is so much bigger than anything that the Lord has done before. But he's done it before and he'll do it again. We've seen this pattern over and over and over. And we've heard the frame that the refrain that nothing is is too difficult for the Lord. Nothing is impossible. Nothing. Nothing. And what was true in the Old Testament, what is true in Luke chapter 1, listen to me, is still true today that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And I don't know this morning, I don't know who's in here or what you're walking through. I don't know if that's the word that you need this morning. That nothing is impossible with God. Here's the second familiar thing I see. I see a familiar promise. A familiar promise. This, this is an amazing announcement to Mary. But honestly, if we're reading the Bible together as one big story like we should, this, this announcement to Mary is not completely out of left field. This, this is expected. See, what the angel is announcing to Mary is that you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus and he's the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament has anticipated. So the Lord promised Abraham, one of your descendants is going to save the whole world. And, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And then we follow the story of the Bible through all the descendants of of Abraham, and, and then we get to a guy named David, King David, and the Lord, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord meets with David, and he, he tells David, I'm going to make your name great, David, and not only that, I'm going to build your dynasty, and you're going to have a descendant that is going to rule on your throne, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There will be an eternal king that comes from your line, David. And so David's expectation, his anticipation is to watch for this king. And he does get to see his son Solomon reigns on the throne. But then David dies. And all the kings of Judah 
come from David's line. We could trace them in the Old Testament. All the kings of Judah come from David's line. But the kings and the people, they continuously sin against the Lord. And and the Lord sent prophets to warn the people, but they would not listen until finally the, the Lord sends the Babylonians and they come and they destroy the temple and they destroy Jerusalem and they exile the people and they depose the kings that are sitting on David's throne. What of this eternal king that is to come? Well, eventually the Lord brings the people up out of exile and brings them back to Jerusalem, but there's still no glorious king sitting on David's throne. And the the Persians take control from the Babylonians, and then the the, the Greeks take, take over from there, and then the Romans take over from there, but still there is no eternal king sitting on David's throne until an unusual visitor shows up to an unusual location with an unusual message for this young lady. He says, you're going to conceive a a son. You'll call his name Jesus. And he'll be great, like Abraham, like David. He's the one who is great. He's going to be called the son of the Most High. I'm going to give him this throne of his father, David. And he's going to reign over the house of Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Gabriel is telling Mary, your son is going to fulfill the promises to Abraham and to David. He's, everyone, he, he's what everyone has been waiting on. And here's what that tells me this morning. God keeps his promises. David didn't get to see the outcome. Because centuries after the promise, God came through. But God has promised us many things in the scriptures. And some of the things we get to see happen, and some things we don't. But God does keep his promises, and our role is to trust him. And to hold on to his promises as tightly as we can. The third familiar thing I see in this text is a familiar protagonist a familiar protagonist see God makes it a habit to use the humble to accomplish his purposes you know if I'm looking at Luke 1 and you're asking me to pick a hero of the story here uh, I'm probably picking Zechariah he's the priest you know he's the priest he's the guy in the temple he probably should have been the hero here but that's not who God chose that's not who gets highlighted in the story Who did God choose? He chose the weak. God chose the humble. He chose the one who has faith in him. A a faith that says, I have nothing to offer. But God, I trust you and I'll do what you say. And if you think about the story of the Bible and the kinds of people that God chooses throughout the story of the Bible, of course he chose Mary. Of course he did. Because we read over and over again, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And God chooses the weak to shame the strong. You can read that in in 1 Corinthians. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. Why would he do that? So he gets the glory. You didn't do it, I did, God says. And so Paul says things like, that means I can boast in my weakness. That I don't have to have it all put together to be used of God. Because it's not me that's doing the work. Now humble yourself. Boast in your weakness. Believe God's words. Here's what I'll say. 
God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Listen to me. God uses people to accomplish his purposes. He could snap his fingers and get it done. That's not how he created the world, and that's not how he's redeeming the world. God uses people to accomplish his purposes. God's, God was bringing about his plan through Mary. She believed God's words. She accepted her circumstances. And she followed in obedience. And God was going to use her to bring about this cosmic plan to redeem the world. What was true in Luke chapter 1 is still true today. God's still using people to accomplish his redemptive purposes. You know, Mary had a son and she named him Jesus and he grew up and he lived, he lived a sinless life. He walked on the earth. He healed the sick. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the blind to see. He brought the dead back to life and then he died but for no sin of his own. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. He ascended to the Father. And this Jesus has been crowned king over all creation. And he waits to return. And when he does return, he's, he's going to judge the wicked. He's going to vindicate the righteous. And he will ultimately and finally, he will reign over all things because Jesus Christ is king and of his kingdom there shall be no end but here's the thing you and I we live in this in between we live in this this already not yet Lord Jesus has has ascended and he waits to return and here we are on the earth But God is still about his business. He is still about the redemption of people. He is still working his plan to save the world. And he uses people to do it. And he's told us how. Love God. Love other people. Proclaim the gospel. That's the instruction that we've been given. God is about redeeming the world and he wants to use us. I said, people, let, let's make it more personal. He wants to use this church. Let's make it more personal. He wants to use you, you, to redeem the world. All that's required of us is faith that accepts the circumstances and walks in obedience. Here's the question. What, what has God commanded you today? What command has God given you today? Who do you need to forgive? Whose forgiveness do you need? What's one wrong thing that you need to make right? What, what commitment do you need to make to this church? Maybe somebody in the room needs to, for the first time, surrender their life to him today. What command has, has God given you? Where has God called you? What is your mission field? 
We want to say here at Central, we want to say embrace your mission field. Not the mission field, like, like somewhere over there. Yes, somewhere over there, but also right here. Where has God placed you? What is your mission field? Well, it's your family. It's your neighbors. It's, it's the people that you work with, the people you interact with. That is your mission field. Embrace your mission field. What, what is it? Who do you need to speak life to? Who do you need to proclaim the gospel to? Who is it? You know, I want to be real honest this morning, Central. I want to be real honest. As a church overall, I'm not speaking about individuals. Just overall, we are not good at the one-on-one proclaiming the gospel. People call that personal evangelism. We're not real good at that. And some of you are, for sure, but overall, it's not something we, we do. It's something we want to be. But it's not kind of who we are right now. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to take one very small step forward. And that challenge is this. We, maybe it's difficult for us to be personal evangelizers, but could we just start by being inviters? Could you invite somebody to church? We've got a ready-made opportunity to invite people to church. We've got Christmas Eve service is coming. People are looking for a place to go to church on Christmas Eve. Could you invite somebody, a relative, neighbor, coworker, the person who hands you your coffee every morning? Who, who could you invite? And, and we, we've made some little cards up. They're just little cards that, that you can take. There's some at the back. There's some at the welcome center back there. You, you can grab them and you can take them and hand them to somebody and invite them to Christmas Eve. Sir. We are going to proclaim the gospel. You never know. That might change their life. Can you become an inviter? We gave some of these to our children's ministry last week. We, we don't want them to hand them to their parents. We want them to hand them to their friends at school. We can do this. What is your mission field? And what has God commanded you? What is our response to God's command in our life? Our response is faith that's revealed by obedience. Faith revealed by obedience. The the urgency of Luke chapter 1. Be like Mary. Let's pray.